seen the news yesterday that the CEO of U.S. Olympic, the U.S. Olympic Committee resigned. His name is Scott Blackman. He resigned yesterday. Now, he's saying for health reasons, everybody believes he's stepping down because of the <clears> tremendous <throat> pressure that's being brought um, for him to step down because he presided over the U.S. gymnastics team and their child molestation scam that they had going. And it would seem uh, U.S. swimming also. Uh, former Olympic swimming champion said yesterday, let the Olympic movement take note. The money and USA's total medal count under Scott Blackman will be forgotten. Blackman's career will be defined by his unwillingness to protect children and athletes from sexual abuse. Uh, yeah, because you know about the gymnastics story. You might not know about the swimming story. In total, U.S. swimming now has roughly 150 names on a public list of coaches and officials who have been banned. Of course, they had internal lists for years and years and years. They just didn't let anybody, any parents or the public know about it, and they would move some of these coaches around, even though they knew that they were predators. Now, Jancy Thompson says there's at least one name missing from the list, Norm Habercroft. Thompson says her former swimming coach in Los Gatos, California, molested her for several years. Jancy Thompson, former Olympic hopeful competitive swimmer, joins us now. Jancy, hi, how are you? Hi, good morning. How are you? Good. Hey, listen, just on behalf of people who have hearts and souls uh, in this country and everywhere else, this can't be pleasant for you to be talking about this a lot. But, uh, you know, I'm so grateful that you are. So, so nice job. Why don't you tell us about your experience in competitive swimming, and then we can talk about, you know, the culture of it and what Jack was just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for for taking the time to talk to me. I know um, spreading awareness um, is, is key to making change and educating parents on what to look for. And, yes, the culture is um, a big, big problem. Um, I started swimming when I was eight at our local team in Gilroy. Um, as, I, as I got more experience and um, got a little bit older, we started looking for um, a more advanced swim team and a coach, a great coach who could get me to the Olympics. And when I was 11, that's when I started my swimming, um, my swimming journey with Norm in Los Gatos, which was about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes away from Gilroy at the time. So we commuted um, just to swim with him because he was well known as a coach that you know, could tr- that a coach that trains um, young athletes to break records at very, very young ages, and he, we believed, could get me to the Olympics. So we made the switch and drove the commute. Um, and I was only 11 years old when I started swimming with him. And how soon did he start grooming you, or what you perceived to be the beginning of the abuse? Um, it was instantly. Um, I know there's some some frustration on the word of grooming, but um, what do you mean? It, well, because it's it, it's hard to understand what that means, um, and it's 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 a way of of how these coaches manipulate the pool deck. So, for instance, um, nobody ever smiled or was laughing or was having fun on the pool deck with norm present um it was a very serious serious environment um swimmers were constantly being yelled at to go faster uh, if they didn't swim and perform well enough in practice in a swim meet um essentially if norm wasn't happy 
then nobody was happy. And um, the grooming for me started, I mean, instantly. I mean, it when I had a piece of chocolate because we had to um, make sure that our weight stayed down so that we were fit so that we could race fast as we could, um, I had a piece of chocolate on my shirt, and he instantly got physical with me and grabbed my bangs, you know, above my forehead and, and pulled me in close and looked me straight in the eye, and he said, don't you ever lie to me again. Do you understand me? And from I'd that kill somebody on, who did that to my kid. I'd freaking beat their head against the cement if they did that to my kid, just as a reaction absolutely. to that. Right, right, and that's a normal gut reaction. But in this culture of swimming that we have, that was okay. That was acceptable under the umbrella of this is a great coach and he's going to do whatever he can to get me to the Olympics. And so that power relationship then, that that I could see where that would relate then to when, you know, the sexual predation began. It was already established that you were essentially powerless. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Um, threatening. You know, I if you want to get into this high school, I went to a, um, a very... Um, a wonderful private Catholic high school, Archbishop Mitty, and he would threaten me, if you want to get into this college, this high school, then you'll listen and do what I say, because you're nothing without me. You're not good enough. You're not a good enough student. You're not even that good of a swimmer. So without me, you won't get anywhere. And so it's it's not, when, you, when we talk about grooming, it's not just one particular action or one particular saying it's a whole culture it's a whole way of your of of this this swimming world a power relationship so how does this transition into sexual abuse well um for me for us for norm and i it started with i mean not just norm and i because i wasn't the first swimmer there was a swimmer prior to me who was a little bit younger than me, and she was breaking records at 11, 12 years old, and she was his first victim. And how it starts is massaging of the muscles, you know, because we train 20-plus hours a week. We do weights. We do, um, you know, running, cardio, cardiovascular work on the treadmills or outside so that we have all aspects of training under control. And it starts with, under the umbrella of training to be better, I need to massage and stretch your muscles. The massages come down into the, the chest the chest area, the breast area, comes onto the side, you know, of your lats. And it starts with the, the touch that doesn't feel right, but then is told you're told that this is supposed to be right. And you're how and old you're how good. old when he how old are you when he started doing that? Twelve. God dang it, that's wow. unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Right. And, and of course you right. don't know. You know, right. Jancy, I don't, in the time we have, uh, I think, you know, I, I really want to get to the culpability of the organization um, and the moving around of swimming coaches and, and that sort of thing. Can you talk a little about trying to get people to listen to you or, or you know, the, you saw them moving predators and coaches around? What can you tell us about that? Well, the swimmer prior to me, um, her allegations actually got Norm all the way to the grand jury. Um, and I was 12, 12, 13 years old, so, so, so was she. 
And um, the detective at the time actually called USA Swimming on behalf, you know, of her and shared with them that, you know, these allegations were being made um, of sexual misconduct with a 12-year-old. And they were aware of this. And so they did nothing. They, well, we're, we have a file on him. We're aware of it. So they, they continued to let him coach in the meantime. Not only was he a coach, he was also an elementary school teacher. Oof. And it's disgusting because they knew back in 1996 that he was a pedophile. They had a, their insurance company go and settle out of court with her. Um, he also notified them that there was, you know, a settlement in court, and yet they continued to let him swim. And not only that, but they put a confidentiality on his file so nobody could actually see what was said and what the allegations were against him. Wow, so not so just have, not doing anything, but actively covering for him. That, that's astonishing. Right, right. And that was and, in 96, and how how long did he continue to uh, coach and, uh, I would assume... Uh, prey upon young people after 96? Well, then it was me. Then, it, then then I was next in line. I was the next favorite on the podium for him. And from 97 all the way until I quit swimming when I was, when I was 19 years old, so um, 2000, 2001, um, he remained in my life as a coach. And it wasn't until maybe about 2003, 2004, when I went to the police myself, excuse me, myself, and they served a search warrant on his house that he scampered off to somewhere back east where then he was a volunteer. So USA Swimming has never formally um, conducted any sort of investigation on him. He is still not on the ban list, and it just, unbelievable what you have to do in order to be put on this ban list. I mean, just recently, there were three additional swim coaches who were placed on the ban list. All had committed sexually related crimes and are being investigated by authorities, but yet none of them on the actual ban list have charges saying that they are being accused of sexual misconduct. It says some sort of conduct code violations relating to drugs. So even to this day, they are refusing to accept that there's a problem, that these coaches, that this culture is a problem, and these young athletes and girls are being victimized, sexually victimized, every day. This even is, to this day. This is an incredibly indelicate question, but just, you know, so we know, so the listeners know. How, how far sure. did the molestation go? I mean, what, what's the extent of it? So when I was 15, he started... Um, Introducing me to pornography um, via AOL, AOL Instant Messenger um, and on the Internet. He would send me um, naked pictures of himself on, quote, what I did to him. Um, so the, the cyber sex gradually snowballed into me having to meet him before morning swim practice, before everybody else got there in the swim office so he could show me what I did to him and then, you know, sexually assault me. Um, And this was all before swim practice. And then I would have to get in and 
put a happy, strong girl face on and swim my butt off. And if it wasn't fast enough, I was belittled. I was called names. He would throw chairs and throw, you know, swim buoys and kickboards. Um, he even went as far as feeding off of one of my nightmares that I had um, of, you know, ha- having a, a dog collar around my neck. And he thought it would be a funny idea to have me act it out and put the dog collar on my neck, get in and swim a couple of laps while he held the leash. Whoa. And it's that kind of sick power that, you know, it's just mind-boggling as to how, how this was acceptable. Clearly, USA Swimming needs to be torn down to its roots. And, and either, gymnastics, but yeah. And gymnastics, yeah, and either rebuilt or just broken up and into smaller Absolutely. units that, that can be managed. And, and as you say, they're still not serious about rooting this sort right. of thing out, in your opinion? No, absolutely not. I mean, everybody, you know, Susan Wozner, who just stepped down, um, you know, she was part of this problem. And when we asked, we, I say my lawyer, um, Bob Allard, when he asked her why Norm Havercroft has not been taken or put on the ban list, you know, she said, well, we just haven't had a formal, you know, investigation into him. Well, I don't understand what more does a child, an athlete, have to go through in order for them to take this sexual abuse, this culture, seriously? Do you have a why? Do you have a guess as to why they're hesitant to want to stop people from molesting children? I think it's a financial issue. They, because like you said, USA Swimming needs to be burned to the ground. All these old, good old boys, these, um, these men and some women who have accepted this culture need to be removed, need to be taken out, and not given some lame crap excuse of health purposes, but actually take responsibility and point the finger and say, no, you are inappropriate. You failed to speak up. You need to get out of here. And yeah. new people need, and I think it, and it comes back down to money. Um, USA Swimming is a huge money maker for the USOC, the Olympic, you know, committee. Um, and unfortunately, lives and child childhoods are destroyed because right. of money. And their priority is protecting USA Swimming, not the children. Jancy Thompson, former right. Olympic hopeful, a uh, victim of abuse by a monster coach. And USA Swimming is not rooted out yet. Uh, Jancy, uh, listen, again, it's it's brave and really cool of you to be doing what you're doing. And I hope more people come forward and and the critical mass is reached where these people just can't hide anymore. Uh, but it, it's great to I talk to you. So. Yeah, and let's stay in touch, all right? Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. All I appreciate right. your time. All right, yeah, you got it. Well done. Yeah, we're a news outlet you can call, and we'll put it on the air if there's some breakthrough or if somebody's continuing to stonewall or whatever. Oh, yeah. Nothing to make us happier than bring them to their knees. Yeah, I have more comment on this. You probably do, too. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. How many tens, dozens, or hundreds of people would have to be aware that this was going on in an organization like that? Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Uh, some of the texts we got on the interview we just did with a swimmer who was um, molested. You know, I didn't. We didn't get into how far they actually, how far this went. If if it went further than. I mean, if it went far enough, it's just rape. He was just raping her because she right. was underage. I think it did. Okay, I think so, too. So he was raping her. He's raping this swimmer and many others, I'm sure, as has happened with hundreds, if not, well, it almost certainly has to be thousands. Of victims, you mean? Yeah, victims. I would guess that's if probably he, true, yeah. Uh, which is absolutely amazing in U.S. swimming, and we found out in gymnastics, and a volleyball coach just this week has, has now come under fire. So it might be USA Volleyball, too. Um, I don't know why it wouldn't be. There, there's... So we got a bunch of texts. Um, a coach is a sick F. It's too bad we don't have the death penalty for pedophiles. Yeah, that'd be fine with me. I'm going to track that swim coach down on Facebook and make his life a living hell. He's still out there just living his life. Just make sure you get the wrong guy. Right guy. Uh, the right guy. Don't get the wrong guy. Yeah. Um, a lot of people saying, where were her parents? You know, I wanted to get into that. That'd be a whole separate topic. Of what did you tell your parents, or why didn't you tell your parents, or whatever went on? But yeah, yeah, people are emailing the same thing. You know, it's not a defense, but in in a lot of those super high level sports programs, the parents don't sit there and supervise. Sure, and and as I've said throughout the hashtag Me Too movement, if something happens enough, at some point you just have to recognize that that's the way it is. That's human nature. Or this is the way it's working. You right. clearly have with gymnastics and swimming a thousand people out there that were molested by their coaches and i'm sure all the circumstances are a little bit different as to how much they told their parents but whatever the circumstance is that seems to be human nature so the, the coaches can get away with it right and um what i don't get is are these pedophiles that figured out they ought to get into youth sports were they really into swimming or gymnastics or whatever? And and they were pedophiles, and at some point they realized, hey, nobody's watching. I wonder if I could. Do they communicate with each other? Because seems this is like the same playbook as that Nasser guy. Yeah, Start just, with the massages. It's just, just. I just think that's you know the predator's playbook. It's are, instinctive. Are there that damn many people that want to molest children out there? Well, it's. Yeah, you got to be careful because some are actual pedophiles. Some want to have sex with young women who are under 18, and it's a different thing. Okay, whichever. Are there that many people that want to molest underage people? Yes, clearly. Jeez, that's incredible. Well, we got to come up with a way to stop this from happening again. I'm concerned we fire a whole bunch of people, and then we just do it again. Right. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, President Trump's comments about how to deal with drug dealers raising a lot of eyebrows today. And it is science why some of us have trouble doing push-ups and other athletic endeavors. Because you're weak! Some of us don't have that much trouble doing push-ups. Yeah, we've got some science. Some of us don't end up in the hospital trying to do three push-ups. We've got science to explain all this. You're <laughs> weak! It's a positive <laughs> report, my friend. <laughs> Joe's got his view. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. So we're getting texts. What's the coach's name again? His name is Norm Havercroft. Norm Havercroft, and um, so that's that. 
You got the head of the Olympic uh, Committee who resigned for health reasons. So rather than be a stand-up human being and say, I can't believe this happened while I was under my watch. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. No, you just hope to disappear into the night. Yeah. When you had two of your biggest uh, sports just riddled with purvos and lots of people knew it. And you don't care. Nobody cares. I, I, th- th- no, th- you're protecting the gravy train. That's your priority. Not only have I, have I just got to accept as human nature, there are a lot more purvos out there. There are a lot more people that are willing to cover for purvos if it's going to make them money. I just You just have to accept that as reality, I yeah. guess. Absolutely. And Who knows one, what evil lurks in the hearts of men? And one more text. And women. My husband said, if someone put a leash on his child, I better hire a lawyer because within 30 seconds, he's going to kill the guy. That's freaking amazing. Right, right. Freaking amazing. Well, the uh, skillful predator will establish that power relationship so the kid doesn't dare tell their parent. That's part of the whole grooming process. Whew. All right, let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, more evidence of your government in action. Now, along with gun legislation getting stalled out, it turns out talks have stalled on a bipartisan immigration bill that would include a chance for citizenship for young immigrants and $25 billion for President Trump to go ahead and build his wall with Mexico. The Democrats have decided that they would rather have the issue than the solution for the midterm elections, and I wish them well. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yep, distrust. Surely, strategically, it makes sense to me. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, they've they've been successful in tarring the Republicans as somehow anti-immigrant or racist or whatever, so they're going to go back to that well one more time. Yeah, they're calling it weaponizing the impasse to rouse voters in the midterms. Well said. Weaponizing the impasse. On another matter, President Trump suggested the death penalty might be appropriate for drug dealers, making his comments at a White House summit on the opioid epidemic. You know, if you shoot one person, they give you life, they give you the death penalty. These people can kill 2,000, 3,000 people, and nothing happens to them. And we need strength with respect to the pushers and to the drug dealers. Some countries have a very, very tough penalty, the ultimate penalty. And by the way, they have much less of a drug problem than we do. So we're going to have to be very strong on penalties. Trump also saying he talked with the Attorney General Jeff Sessions about suing opioid makers. Remarks that came after Sessions announced the Justice Department is going to support local officials in hundreds of lawsuits against opioid manufacturers and distributors. Mm, That'll be interesting. All right, now, this explains why I am having trouble doing push-ups, and you may have problems doing other types of exercise. Now, you had the New Year's resolution for 2018 to do 10 push-ups by the end of the year. That was derailed by an injury. Yes. You have uh, recommitted to that in uh, 20... Oh, that was in 2017. That was in 2017. You've recommitted yes. to that in 2018. And yes. where are we on that currently? Well, I had a little ping that occurred, right. and I'm having to meet with my specialist to make sure that my Armstrong and Getty sports-related injury will not be worsened by resuming my strenuous exercise. So the most recent accomplishment was three push-ups about a year ago? About Barely. a year ago. Well, it was more like five push-ups. No, it was not. It was not. My trainer, you, my rounding trainer, up, it's positive like five. Shot. Yes. <laughs> rounding up to the nearest five, it was five. All right. Anyway, let's get down. Let's get down to science. All right. Okay. If you have it, arms like linguini, it's going to be difficult to do push-ups. No, That's science. it has nothing to do with that. Researchers. <laughs> That's something re- to do with it. Researchers at the University of North Texas have discovered that having a big brain really <laughs> makes you have. 
less muscle. The bigger the brain, the smaller the muscles. The researchers looked at the cavities, uh, the cadavers rather, of primate species that died of natural causes, and found that compared to other animals, large-brained primates had less muscle mass. Boy, if I'd studied really hard in school, maybe I could have gotten one of them jobs looking at dead apes. That sounds like some good work. <laughs> really rewarding. So I'm just too big-brained to carry out these uh, exercises. Joe, I'm going to need you to weigh the ape brains today. <laughs> Jim, you're going to measure their muscles. Hey, well, I wanted to measure the muscles. One last note. We now have an official cutoff point for who is and who is not a millennial. This has been uh, debated and a little squishy for a while, but now the Pew Research Center has come up with the definitive ages. They say anyone born between 1981 and 1996 is a millennial. Ah! And anyone anyone between 22 and 37 years old is a millennial. The 16-year time span for the generation is similar to that of Generation X. They were born between 65 and 1980. So now you can determine if you are or are what's, not what's, a millennial. What's the post-millennial since uh, we have uh, housefuls Generation of Generation Z. Generation Z. Generation so little Z. D is a Z. Uh-huh. Right. And Generation Z. Z for zombie. <laughs> and how do they determine this? I mean, who, who decides that somebody born in 1980 is significantly the same as someone born in 1965? That seems like quite a span. It's determined by science, Jack. <laughs> the size of my brain. studying the bladders <laughs> of those same apes. Or the, or the millennial. You, yeah. got, you got the crowd that uh, grew up to a great extent pre-internet and all right. that sort of stuff. And the crowd that's never known life without it. Right. But they're the same group. Okay. There Whatever. you go. Go ahead. That's your... <laughs> How that... many apes have you examined, idiot? <laughs> That's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. Here I'm starting a Giddy Show, the conscience of the nation. <laughs> Good job, Squawky. Uh, boy, I tell you what, boy. right on cue. Boys, these Marshall's Petty reminds me Baxter has got the, uh, the cone on. Now... Sean's referred to it as the cone of shame. I can't imagine why. Dogs tend to look ashamed when they have the cone on their head. Well, they're chagrined. They're depressed. And I can't blame them. It's terrible to watch. Although, you know, I, I rejected the cone of shame characterization yesterday. But the more I thought about it, if you're told, don't lick that, and you say, I just can't stop licking it. You probably should be ashamed. <laughs> and that is indeed his problem. If somebody had to tie your arms behind your back and your head down or something because you couldn't stop licking something. Right. That's something you should be ashamed of. I'm going to put this giant thing on your head to stop you from licking that. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So you got a rainstorm hitting the West Coast, snowstorm hitting the East Coast. Whatever. Getting in on both ends. Gets gets a lot of news Poor attention. continental U.S. It only, matter, only really matters where you live. Unless you're right. flying, then it might matter. But other than that, it just it only matters where you live. 
You know, we were talking about some of the dark sides of human nature earlier. This is not a dark thing, but the older I get, the more interested I am in weather. Really? I don't know what I, goes on. I have not had that happen. Of course, I've always been interested in meteorological science. Okay. I just find it an interesting field. Fantastic. As a child, I would can- uh, contemplate the clouds. And when they taught us the different kinds of clouds, I really took to it. Are you serious? I am serious. Mm. Are you cumulonimbus? Mm. So... I hold in my hand Timothy Sandifer's Frederick Douglass Self-Made Man, which he has inscribed to me. Joe, here's your free copy, you cheap bastard. That's something. <laughs> Friend writes a book and you demand a free copy. I just <laughs> It was an attempt at humor. But I retaliated, as I mentioned earlier today, by buying five copies, which I'm going to donate to area schools. So take that, Tim, you writing bastard. But anyway, a friend of mine, Mike the Lawyer from Chicago sent us a tape of Frederick Douglass delivering a speech for a freedom-loving quote of the day. And we are like, wait a minute, he died in 1895, the recording, blah, blah. So he actually did a little research, and you'd think I would know this because I'm kind of a recording freak, but, yeah, they were making pretty damn good recordings in the late 1800s. Um, Thomas Jefferson, is, uh, is uh, his early phonograph stuff was like the cylinder thing, was like 1870... 1870- Edison? Thomas Edison, what did I say? Jefferson. Jefferson, I'm sorry. Jefferson wasn't doing anything in 1878, (laughs) except moldering. (laughs) You. I'm sorry. Um, But yeah, Thomas Edison, indeed, in the 1870s was making those recordings. So this is a freedom-loving quote of the day, which we normally do to start the show. Um, This is Frederick Douglass. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Precisely, I'm not sure. Has to be pre-1895, though, obviously. Uh, yeah, when he passed. Yeah, I, I like your theory. I like your thinking. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm surprised that it sounds so. Yeah, I don't modern. Know. You know, it's there's some doubt as to whether that's authentic. But I tell you what, that's not the point. The, the point is not the state of recording in the 1880s. <laughs> The point is the words. How heavy is an ape brain? That's the point. <laughs> the, the the point is the words of Frederick Douglass and and their power and and what an amazing human he was and um and how you should read Timothy Sandifer's Frederick Douglass self made man. Yeah, the stuff in there about his uh, early life as a slave is rough. Oof. Yeah, I haven't read it yet because I was waiting for my free copy. But, uh, <laughs> <Jeep> bastard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, so uh, thank you, Tim, so very much for that sincere gift. If you're entertaining three eight-year-olds and a six-year-old, what on a rainy day? Oh. What What are you thinking? Why? Why? I went through that. Don't drag me well, back. You've got experience. Just when so. you think you're out, 
sidetrack you back So in. you've got experience. You've done it. What has worked? What has not worked? Well, our, our most successful birthday party ever for Declan. Benadryl and a movie. <laughs> oh, 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 boy. Um, it, he, and he was around eight. I'm sure Judy can remember precisely because she's that way. But um, was when we did superhero training. Ooh. And we had an obstacle course, which I spent many hours assembling in the backyard. I just looked around at everything we had, every jungle gym, every like uh, little tykes plastic climby cube thing, um, a two by four on bricks. And I like made a puddle under it. I just anything I could think of. And uh, and we did a superhero uh, ob- obstacle course, and they wore capes oh, awesome. and everything, and that went well. But certainly, uh, there's no weaponry. There was, uh, because we're, we're anti-weapons, our superheroes negotiate with the bad guys and come to an agreement. Um, but that was that was good. That was a lot of fun. They enjoyed that. And if we can get outside, I think I'm all right. It's just, it might be pouring rain all, all the All the better. Are you familiar all with... All the better. <laughs> With the uh, the floor is lava game, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Oh, All right. yeah, get down in the muck, you maggots. That's what I'd be shouting at. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, I don't see. I'd, I'd have to look around at what you've got and, and put my. I'm just thinking if we're stuck in indoors, it's going to be harder. You know what? Do not, do not think you're too good for the humble. Pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> you ever played that? Uh, not since I was a kid, certainly. Well, there there are many variations on it, too. You know, pin the nose on the face. Or, of course, you, it involves the imagery of jabbing someone in the face with a pin, which is troubling. But not because the tail ends up in all sorts of places and a kid's laugh and the rest. That's, that's not a, that's not a bad idea there. Stuff. That's not a bad idea. I was actually thinking uh, like a shadow puppet sort of thing. That could be fun. Probably some good stuff online about things you can make. Mm? Mm, that's a bird. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Sounds like a blast. <laughs> Yeah, I, no, yeah. No, no reaction on that. I think Frederick Douglass would have enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, but if you catch my meaning, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Gosh, if you're if you're stuck indoors, yeah, that's um, why I'm thinking Benadryl in a couple of movies. Show them Caddyshack, the classics. I'll just text pictures of their moms, then passed out with drool coming out of their mouth. I give them a lot of Benadryl. <laughs> Everything's going great. <laughs> I'm getting a lot oh. of work done, sleep, doing some reading. Look at the little darlings, sleeping <laughs> like babies. Aren't they cute at this age? I'm drooling a bit. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slide. Two in the afternoon, they're sound asleep. It's just perfect. <laughs> oh, man, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a reminder not to complain about my cone-headed dog and, and his hangdog looks. Oh, man. So we have a, um, uh, a go-kart and a mini bike. Oh, please. Racist. But uh, I, I haven't even asked, but I'm pretty certain they don't want their kids on the, the dirt bike uh, without them around. That's pretty for advanced. The first, for the first time in your life, yeah. I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Some stranger stuff. Well, I'm not a stranger, but. But go-kart is, uh, I mean, it doesn't, like, do 150 miles per hour, right? It goes fairly fast. Uh. Henry's had all four wheels off the ground. <laughs> yeah. Take it off any sweet jumps. <laughs> <laughs> There's, we got a little dip where the gravel turns into pavement, and uh, he's hit that thing going full speed and all four wheels off the ground. Wow. Which, you know, if you got sideways, you'd, well, you'd roll for a while. <laughs> country kids. I was so jealous of the country kids when I grew up as a city kid. So their go karts and their mini bikes and their country. God, Sam rode his dirt bike straight into the barn two days ago. <laughs> Do you mean in through the door? 
No, or to the into side of the, the barn. Oh boy. Like oh, you couldn't oh, hit golly. the broad side of a barn with. He could hit yeah, the broad side of a barn with yeah. his dirt bike. And uh, you know, first, first, first concern is are you okay and Certainly. dealing with the wounds? And he was shaking and crying and everything. Like, but at some point, things calmed down. And he said, "How did you? How did you end up hitting the barn? It's very I mean, large. How did? You, how did yeah. you, were you not looking up or?" Oh boy, he was not quite sure how that happened, but yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> God, that's like listening to myself in my childhood. If if my life ever f- does flash before my eyes, there will be a lot of I don't know how it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the biggest object on our property, <laughs> the barn. <laughs> so listen, how much time do we have, Michael? Barely any, right? Okay, just real quickly. Do you want to email us? Our, our new email address is mailbag at armstrongandgetty. Hmm. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Got this note from Matthias and family in Germany. Listens in Germany. He actually he had a, a son who had uh, serious kidney problems. He wrote in. We talked about it uh, like a year ago. But son's doing a lot, lot better. In a few years, they're going to tr- take a month traveling the U.S. They don't want to do the big cities. They want to do a rural road trip of the states. They want to see the that's, U.S. That's my the way I always do and it. And they want to know where they should go. Just drive. If if y'all email us, I will forward it to Mateus and his family. Where should they go in this beautiful, beautiful country to get a feel for America? Scranton. Scranton would be a start, Michael. <laughs> Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.